Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falkenstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Farut Nehru. Hello, hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. So we've got a big, big show planned. We are talking Borg v. McEnroe, the big film in cinemas this week. We're very excited to get into that one. We are talking Harry Dean Stanton's Lucky, his last film yet released, and Blade of the Immortal in cinemas this week. So we've got a lot to get through. But first, we're very excited. The Japanese Film Festival kicks off in Sydney and around the country. It starts in Sydney this week on the 16th and runs through the 26th at Event Cinemas George Street. And we have the program coordinator for the JFF, Margaret Cortez, joining us. Margaret, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for thanks so much for having me. So, Margaret, you've got a big program planned. Can you tell us? We're, we're all going to opening night. We're quite excited. Can you tell us about Mamon, the Land of Stealth, the opening night film? Mamon is it's a really exciting title and has already sold out some sessions in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, there are still some seats left for the opening night, of course, um, down in Sydney. And it's by the filmmaker called Yoshihiro Nakamura, which means you're going to get a bit of um, your traditional period um, epic type of film, but at the same time, it's going to feel a bit rock and roll because it's Nakamura making it. And it's um, it's an, it's got comedy, it's got action, and at the same time, it's got a lot of political intrigue in it. So um, there's something for everybody in it, and I can't think of a better opening film for the Japanese film festival. Oh, fantastic. Well, we're very excited to see it tomorrow. Yes, and and one of the other attractions of the festival is Memoirs of a Murderer. Now, I'm really excited to see that because the premise itself looks quite fascinating. What can people expect from this one? Memoirs of a Murderer, some people might know um, of the original Korean version, um, also by the same, which goes by the same title. But the Japanese version by Yu Uriya, he really managed to make it his own. So people can expect the same type of um, kind of like thriller tropes, um, but it's one thing that might be good news for some people is it's not going to be as gory as the <laughs> the Korean version. It's still going to have some um, some shock factor in it, but um, the cast, I think, is what makes it work um, really well. So we've got um, Tatsuya Fujiwara, who is famous for playing um, roles in Death Mode. Yeah, it looks fantastic, and I realise it did pretty well in the US as well, so I'm looking forward to the response in Australia. Yeah, it's it's already selling very fast, so only a few seats left. Something I'm really looking forward to is After We Vanish. I'm a big fan of Kiyoshi Kurosawa. I really enjoyed the selection of Creepy last year, um, which was just fantastically directed. And this one sounds pretty interesting. It sounds like it's a bit of an invasion of the body snatches type scenario. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of, um, I would describe it as kind of like an slice of, slice of life invasion story, which doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> but um, it's it's still very it's atmospheric as a lot of um, Kiroshi Kurosawa's films are. Um, but at the same time, it's an alien film without the explosions and, you know, the slimy creatures that we, we're normally familiar with when it comes to alien invasion stories. Um, it's Instead, it's a very humane story. So I think I guess Kurosawa uses aliens, um, whether as a metaphor or as, um, as a plot device, in order to, to really delve into the human condition. Right, yeah, he's, he's always been very good at using atmosphere to bring out sort of the dark side of, of people. So, but it sounds like, from what I'm hearing, this one might be a little bit more optimistic, despite this really bleak background. I'm not sure. Yeah, it does. It actually does end with an optimistic um, tone. Um, but it's 
it's really hard to place it because it really is, in the truth, that's the word, a genre bender. Um, and I think people can, people sh- should be able to, I think, look forward to this film. It's going, not going to be like creepy. Yeah. Um, it's it's a bit of a departure from creepy. So to those who want, who are up for another challenge, um, definitely check this Kurosawa film out. Sounds like a great one for people who are up for interesting, strange cinema. Fantastic. And one f- another totally interesting, strange cinema, one film I'm very much looking forward to. I know it's playing a number of times throughout the festival, including on Saturday night, is Hamon Yakuza Boogie. Now, I read the description, and this sounds in some senses like a very serious film, but it also seems very frenetic and in some senses could be quite fun. It is. It's, it's actually, it's, it's a, I would describe it as a, a bit of a Japanese dark comedy. And some people just think the premise is ridiculous because, I mean, you, it's, it, it's called Yakuza Boogie. <laughs> Yeah. But um, it is um, quite comic, but it quite um, it's quite witty. It still it still has a lot of your gangsters sort of fight scenes. There will be a bit of blood, but it's wittier than your regular um, action flick. And um, the fact that it's set in Osaka as well, the pace of the comedy it just makes it different because of that. Um, they speak in an Osaka dialect and they've got that Osaka type of humor. Right, right. Well, fantastic. Well, Saturday night, looking forward to that one. Yeah, um, another one I'm really looking forward to is In This Corner of the World. I've been following the release of this one for quite a while. Um, it's been very, very well received. It's, uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? I know it's a sort of slower paced drama set in Hiroshima during World War II. Yes, it is. Uh, but the, it's just a beautifully hand-drawn um, animation, and the the way it was animated just makes it so captivating. And the characters, um, the main character in it, um, all the characters, really draw you into the story. I, I know it's set in um, the Second World War, but the themes, the themes of um, courage under fire, or you know, um, courage in the face of adversity, is still something that a lot of people will be able to relate to. I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard only really, really good things. One of my absolute favorites, uh, or what I'm looking forward to most, is uh, Sion Sono's Anti-Porno. Now, I've been following Sono's work for quite some time, and it's been kind of hit and miss, so either or, whether it's hits or misses the mark, I'm excited for both options, so I'm keeping my mind open. What can people expect from this one? I think this is this is on top of it's probably my top five of this films this year, and same with um I've also had a kind of like a love hate relationship with funny films because um some people in his fans insist that his films are are uh, you know a bit of um, actually feministic and they it's trying to to beat the beat misogyny and all of that but then you look at them and you're like it's exact that's what exactly it is trying to propagate this like misogyny in filmmaking yeah but i agree with, with that. yeah it's an <laughs> anti-porno he finally makes a true feminist film i think that, that's that's a big he's claim. been trying for a while <laughs> yeah. yeah with mixed results yeah. that one about the wind was like a really confused as a kind of feminist statement yet also really really misogynistic and simple yeah you remember yeah. i can't remember what it was called but it was like the wind was killing people and there was this yeah fight. tag yeah right. tag right that yeah. that wasn't good but he's done some great ones yeah um the, the, uh, i had to watch tag a few times before i i started getting it but then it was like oh maybe it's just my brain trying to trick me into liking it right. <laughs> yeah. but Antipointer is just a visual feast um, I think whether you are a Sono fan or you're 
a, a or you're not, um, I think you should sit through it from start to end as it is a film within a film within a film and there will be a lot of surprises in it. Um, but it's it's just great filmmaking. It's a very intelligent film. And to those who are after feminist cinema <laughs> by Stephen Slaughter, which sounds like a you know a, a complete um, yeah, it sounds like I'm trying to you know <laughs> telling a joke, but it's, not. it's very feminist. <laughs> I'm quite intrigued now. I've heard Rot talk about this one quite a bit, so I'm I'm very interested to see it. Yeah, He's made some great films, Glenn. Yeah. I, I think it, it could there's, really pay off. There's only one screening in Sydney, I believe. So I people should just get on that and just get a seat and basically prepare for everything. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Um, one I've actually had the pleasure of seeing already is The Tokyo Night Sky is Always the Dentist's Shade of Blue by filmmaker Yo Ishii, who's also coming to Australia. It's quite a powerful film and there were some very moving moments in it. Um, are you excited to show this one to an Australian audience? Definitely. I think it's it will be, to the very few familiar with um, the um, Japanese films of the art house kind, I think they would definitely like this. Um, but to those who are used to a mainstream kind of um, Japanese cinema, um, this is something fresh that I highly recommend. And um, it's, it is really a portrait of Tokyo, um, but a kind of Tokyo that um, if you're just a tourist or you're just passing by, is something that you really won't see. And I've spoken to other people on the team um, and those from Tokyo who've seen it, and they said that it really does capture um, the essence of Tokyo. So, yeah, I hope that that's um, interesting enough for people to go and try and check it out. I, I, think, I think it is. In some sense, as many people would have seen Ellipsis during the Sydney Film Festival. I'm quite excited because the screening is on the 20, afternoon of the 25th at Event Cinemas, and I'll be running a Q&A with the filmmaker. So please do turn it down. It should be very interesting. I'm also... Looking forward to two films, actually. I saw that Nobuhiro Yamashita, who's one of my favorite Japanese directors, has two movies this year, um, Over the Fence and My Uncle. Um, but, yeah, Over the Fence sounded really intriguing to me in, like, a, a mishmash of lots of different elements of, like, low-key drama, um, relationships, and baseball. Yep, <laughs> the baseball, yeah. Right. <laughs> it was a title as well as just a reference um, right, to right. it. Yeah, and um, were any expectations of my uncle? <laughs> um, I, from what I'm he I've heard of that, that sounds more in line with the other work by him I've seen, which is kind of like comedy about slackers or um, slice-of-life comedy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's also one of the more universally appealing um, comedy. Um, I guess we get a lot of... Um, audience who come to the JFF and ask whether there's a comedy that they could watch that's not too Japanese, because we all know that <laughs> Japanese comedy really is very special. <laughs> yeah. But Nobuhiro Yamashita's stuff is, um, I, from what I've seen, like, very accessible, very kind of like low-key, deadpan. Um, yeah, I, I've really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, my uncle is is um, no exception, and it's it's a brilliant comedy, and I guess it's uh, Matsuda Yuhei who plays the main character, the uncle, uh, that makes it work so well. As well as, of course, the lead character is actually the little boy who is a narrator of the story. And, you know, they go off on an adventure, um, they go all the way to Hawaii, so that's something different. Um, and with Over the Fence, it's also got a top-notch um, cast. You've got Odagiri Joe as well as um, Yu Aoi, who's in some of the other films for this year. 
Mm-hmm. And it's it's an unconventional romance um, as well as just um, life, life in Hokkaido. I, yeah, I really recommend this, guys, cinema to people, so I, I'd tell people to seek these out. And Margaret, so we're all excited. Japanese Film Festival kicks off tomorrow. How do we get tickets? Where do we go? You can just get on JapaneseFilmFestival.net if you want to get your tickets early, or you can just head straight to the cinema and um, buy the tickets off the box office. But some tickets are already selling out, so it's best to get on the website and um, book your tickets early. Do you have any films you'd recommend that we haven't covered? I would highly recommend Snow Woman. I think it's probably my favourite um, in this year's program. Oh, okay. It's a it's an adaptation of the folklore Snow Woman or Yuki Onna, and some people might be familiar with the classic um, um, Kobayashi version called The Woman in the Snow. Hmm. Um, but um, this Snow Woman, directed by a female director, producer, and actor Kiki Sugino, is just absolutely um, fantastic. It's um, and the uh, soundtrack just really immerses you in that other, like otherworldly mix of um, old and new. So you, while watching it, you don't really know what point in time you're in. And um, we're also having Kiki Sugino and her um, lead male co-actor, um, Minataka Aoki, for a Q&A after the film on the 24th of November. Okay, thanks so much. I'll be sure to seek it out. Fantastic. So the Japanese Film Festival is running for the 16th to 26th of November at Event Center's George Street. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And we'll be back right after this on Film Fight Club. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. That was... I, I don't know what that was. Uh, actual Cannibal Shia actual LaBeouf. Cannibal Shia LaBeouf, who's the star of our, our next film. Borg v. McEnroe. It stars Shia LaBeouf, someone who used to be famous, and Svea Gudnarsson as Borg, the Swedish tennis superstar, and Shia LaBeouf as John McEnroe. It is about their famous rivalry. It is a classic tennis film in the classic tennis tradition. There are several tennis fans here, including one person who is ecstatic, beyond ecstatic, to see a film not just about tennis, but that was really, really about tennis. Farad, what did you think of Borg v. McEnroe? Oh my God, I've been waiting. I've been waiting all my life for a tennis movie, and finally it arrived. It arrived. There was tennis. There was seriousness. There was pensive looks. There were people in the shower thinking about tennis this is exactly the kind of movie i wanted to see <laughs> but you know honestly it, it's it's interesting to see because i think what the strength of the movie is that it's a very concentrated portrait of two people you know Sven Rahr, who's playing Bjorn Borg, the then number one tennis player in the world, and Charlotte Buff, who's playing Johnny McEnroe, the kind of bradish upstart, which I think is genius casting because Charlotte Buff... basically Buff's- is John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah, it's the it looks exact. He's the spitting image of Borg. It is incredible. Oh, it's fascinating. And I think Sven uh, his kind of portrayal was a bit more challenging because Borg was always known as the Iceman. You know, their rivalry, Johnny Mac and Bjorn Borg, was known as the Fire and Ice rivalry, which is fantastic because you know Johnny Mac was all fire and Borg was all ice and cool and emotionless. So actually, get, we act, this is actually more like a portrait of Borg than yeah. actually any focus on McEnroe. And in that sense, it's a Swedish film. Yeah, it's it's pretty much a Swedish film. Uh, the young Borg, the child version of Borg, is played by. 
Bulk's actual son, Leo. So we get oh, wow. to see, you know, know. That's pretty interesting. And so it was just fascinating. And, you know, my dad, who was a huge Bulk fan, you know, would have definitely killed to see this because uh, he was a huge Bulk fanatic and he bought into all the Bulk's kind of... Uh, you know, stylistics about how he didn't have his beats above 50 beats per minute and stuff like that. Yeah, what this movie really is, is a film that uses McEnroe's fire as a way to examine Borg's iciness. It's a character study of how and why this guy bottles in all his emotions in order to concentrate them on the game and how he's actually not an emotionless person, but a highly emotional and passionate person, so much so that that despite the um, veneer of being, you know, very, like, straight-line, concentrated guy, is always in danger of toppling if, if things fall out of line for him. Absolutely. And this is... What the, I didn't do that about the film, but at the same time, it was, for me, the biggest attraction in that this set up... It set itself up as Borgie McEnroe, Mano e Mano, these two major figures, but it ended up being a film about Borg and McEnroe. And LaBeouf is excellent in this oh, film, he, and I wanted he, to Mac, see more the, of it. Yeah, no, Shia LaBeouf is, is a terrific actor. But the thing is, I wanted to see more of what he was capable of, what he was doing. Everything he did was about how it reflected on Borg, about how it impacted Borg, and showing how he developed his persona, how he became the tennis superstar he was. And there were a few moments where, particularly a very pointed scene where Borg saying, no, looked at at McEnroe on the field and said, no, I know what he's doing. And we could see the mirror reflection of the two, and I wanted to see more of that, but it was very limited in the film, unfortunately. It it looks at how they're actually very much kindred spirits, but this is, as has been said, um, a way of drawing out the Borg character more. I think this film has a structure that goes into flashbacks from the early life of Borg and McEnroe. I think we could have lost the ones about McEnroe because the movie didn't develop that enough for it to feel more than you know, fat hanging off a lean drama that we have the rest of the way through the film. Yeah, this should have been called Borg. I mean, sorry if we would have confused yeah. the Star Trek fans out there, but this, uh-huh. this, this was really, this was Borg. But also, I mean, Shia LaBeouf, uh, we've definitely not giving him credit as an actor so oh, he's no uh, he's terrific there's I, a reason that people still work with him it's interesting that they cast Shia LaBeouf given that he is in many senses a personification of what John McEnroe as the film says not necessarily is but has come to be known as yeah, and he, seen in popular he's culture a terrific actor who is known for his off-screen antics and his raging and fighting just as McEnroe sort of was <laughs> If you guys would indulge my tennis side for a bit, what uh, I love the film, what it also did was highlight and foreshadow the kind of tennis personalities and rivalries which were to come. For example, Borg revolutionized the game with his two-handed slash ugly backhand, which is now a staple on the tour. And he basically revolutionized the game with the use of topspin, which now Nadal and other people use. And this kind of very kind of routine-like scientific sort of prominence to the game, which is now basically how tennis is played. They've basically moved towards a more scientific kind of game, which Borg really brought in uh, in his prime. And McEnroe is the brash kind of Nick Kyrgios of his day. We can make that comparison with more talent and slightly more achievement than Kyrgios has currently. So I think it's interesting to see about those personalities brought to the game and how we basically play off each other and both are necessary for the bums on seats, per se. I was never really a two-handed backhand sort of guy, but I do take your point. And I've got to say... We have se- we talked about Battle of the Sexes earlier in the year, which was a film which featured tennis, but was not about tennis. This was a film about tennis. This was a film about the 
game. Yeah, and I've got to give full credit to Shia LaBeouf here because he's not a left-handed person. Borg, sorry, McEnroe was, and to do a left-handed serve to that pedigree, he, wow, like, good on yeah, him. I mean, McEnroe has a distinct style of serving. Anybody who's seen anything about the game knows about that. And Shia was so fantastic. You can just see from his mannerisms about when he tosses the ball up. And those scenes are fantastic, actually. The way the shot about, the, you know, the toss-ups and the slow motions are fantastic. And if you really like the game, you'd love some of the cinematography in this. To compare it to Battle of the Sexes, yes, it is much more about the game than that movie, but I found this way more interesting as a drama. Like, that movie didn't really commit to much of anything and didn't really take its themes all the way. This movie is more interesting as a character drama as well as being more interesting um, as a film about tennis. It has a very nonlinear structure, lots of flashbacks and forwards um, throughout their lives, which are used to give us more background on the characters. It works pretty well. I think this is a very solid drama. Um, Following up on what Virat said about the cinematography, my one complaint about this movie is I think it's a little bit hampered by its budget. Um, It could be... It's not my one complaint. It's my one major complaint. I think the way that the tennis is visualized becomes a little bit samey after a while because they don't really have the budget to do the kind, by the look of it, to do the kind of filming um, that could give you really blow-by-blow coverage of the actual play of the game. Instead, we we watch a lot of close-ups of people serving, a lot of of close-ups of balls hitting, you know, tennis rackets and faces looking pained. And after a while, because that's all we have and there's so much of it, it kind of starts to blur together. It would be those montages of the games would be more interesting if we could get more of a sense of the actual dynamic instead of that being conveyed to us through the changing of the scoreboard and the expressions on people's faces. Yeah, at the same time, uh, you see in a lot of films, I think Battle of Texas did have this going for it, that you could see a bit of crowd interaction because there was a crowd ever there yeah. throughout, yeah. and, and this, this clearly, didn't have that. Clearly no. not. They're working. They're working pretty cleverly around a probably limited budget. Yeah, I mean, the film leads up to the fantastic one would say the greatest finals of all times at the Wimbledon 1980 final between Borg and McEnroe, and two fans of the 2008 Wimbledon final between Nadal and Federer. I'm sorry, but this match was slightly better. So you know, if you enjoy your tennis, go and watch this match and relive your memories. People who claim which is the greatest Wimbledon match of all time. Well, this one definitely has a case to make. I think it's a little bit too um, abiding by the cliches of the sports genre, but it's very solidly executed. It's a pretty good drama. I recommend it. I recommend it too. And the one last thing I'll say about this film is it treats the audience very intelligently. It it is something you can enjoy whether you know tennis very well or you don't. Even if you aren't familiar with the rules, uh, there is a point where it goes very pointedly explains what a tiebreaker is. But even if you don't know the ins and outs and love 40, etc., etc., you can enjoy this film. We do recommend it. It is in cinemas tomorrow from November 16. The next film we are talking about is Lucky, which is the last film yet released by Harrington Stanton, who sadly passed away earlier this year. It also stars David Lynch and a number of uh, Stanton's close friends and companions. Character actors, yeah. uh, And is directed by one of the great character actors of our time, John Carroll Lynch. Team, what did we think of Lucky? Yeah, um, look, it's John Carroll Lynch. This is his first time directing and the screenwriters are also actors who are friends of Harry Dean Stanton, and this is their first time writing. And you can feel it, you know? Um, it's a very undeveloped script. That's, that's my main problem with it. For a movie about aging and the changing of the time and the, the wisdom of age, it felt really simplistic and really writerly in the worst possible way. That is, characters are always ready to jump to their big writer's monologue about their chosen issue or some story from their life. It, none of it feels like genuine human interaction. It feels really preordained. 
Um, look, Harry Dean Stanton, I think, is is one of the greats. He's fantastic in this movie, as he's, he always is, but he's let down by the material around him. This definitely felt like a philosophy one on one class to me, and you know where people. That, that's a an insult to philosophy one on one class. Well, well, you know the, the the kind of classes where people talk about metaphysics you. in this yeah, kind yeah. of abstract way, or without having any much real substance to it yet. Yeah, uh, but also you know the, the film is all about the small community and how people come together to basically support each other, but we never actually get a sense of that community at all. It, it's basically vast expanses of you know, the great land and the outback kind of feel. And there's this Harry Dean Stanton's character just walking pensively, trying to look for meaning. They're throwing back to Paris, Texas, which is one of his most famous roles, which is a movie that opens with Harry Dean Stanton walking through the desert and, you know, um, looking at the the landscapes and the cacti and all of that. But that movie takes that and then builds it into, you know, a really beautiful character study by the end of it. This movie thinks that that kind of imagery and that kind of atmosphere and and the subconscious connection to that in viewers' minds is an end of itself. Ex- but it's it's not given any f- grounding or further meaning. Exactly, it's kind of using nostalgia in the worst possible sense, which yeah. I would say a lot of studios, big studios and corporations, are also doing. But also, I think I guess what this movie proves is that the indie kind of productions are not exempt from that either. So they're using you know what Harry Dean Stanton's legacy actually means. And just cashing in on that yeah. without offering anything new yeah. or substantial. Yeah, I appreciate this is a film which will appeal to very serious Harry Dean Stanton fans. It was made for Harry Dean Stanton fans in some sense for Harry Dean Stanton and to commemorate his amazing legacy of filmmaking. But at the same time, this for me was just a revolving series of platitudes. There's a few yeah. great scenes. There's one where he encounters another World War II veteran and standalone, they're fine. And there are scenes you could reasonably remember from another film, but they do not ground in any sense of character or place. There's a wonderful sequence I did enjoy all on its own where he's at a party and he starts singing and there's a few like this in the film but there's nothing enough to maintain a narrative and uh, towards the end as as emotive as the last scene clearly was and what it means particularly in light of his recent sad passing uh, the film does peter out to a great extent and, and this doesn't mean that harry dean stanton isn't great in this he's always great and he's still great in this movie it's just that he has nothing much to do look um a, a movie that's done this better recently is the the third season of twin peaks interestingly enough david lynch acts in both of these these productions in twin peaks directing himself he knew that he had limited range and he worked within that and in this movie he way outstretches his range yeah, yeah this is uh, we will not be film fact level without talking about terence malick or david yeah. lynch i'm not a fan of david lynch i'm even less a fan of his acting he's not good in this yeah um, he's I acting appreciate why, range. i appreciate why he's there but um someone else probably he should have only be allowed to direct himself, basically. Yeah, or, but, or just stick to directing. Yeah, exactly. But no. he's fine in, in the new season of oh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, but totally. what's go- that w- is in itself a goodbye to Harry Dean Stanton. That featured a lot of similar material of Harry Dean Stanton as an old guy who everyone in his community knows um, that is a lot more intelligently written and moving than this film is. Probably because this movie is written by 30 and 40-year-olds and David Lynch is an actual old man confronting some of these issues. So you can feel the the maturity and depth in what it does. I recommend seeking that out instead as a tribute to Harry Dean Stanton. So Lucky is in cinemas tomorrow. The last one we are talking about is Blade of the Immortal, which is also in cinemas tomorrow. We caught this one earlier in the year. It's been doing the festival rounds and now it is getting a cinema release. I am fantastic. I'm floored that a Takashi Miike film is getting a wide release. Well, so did Harakiri and uh, 13 Assassins from the same distributor, Icon. Um, I, I know, and it's fantastic. I, I think this is just... 
I don't know how to explain it's it. It's a lot I'm of fun. Look, really it's happy. an adaptation of a, of a famous long-running manga about an immortal samurai taking on really bad dudes. Look, it's a lot of fun. My um, Really well-staged action, as you'd expect from Takeshi Miike. It doesn't take itself too seriously. There's a lot of Death Becomes Her type visual comedy <laughs> out of the... Yeah characters slicing each other apart and not dying, putting themselves back together again. My major problem with this movie is that in condensing the story of the the manga that has a whole lot of fighting, they focused too much on the battles. There's not enough connective tissue yeah. after like at first when it it sells into a a rhythm of boss fight after boss fight after boss fight and I was thinking, okay, this is yeah. this is fun. And then I was ready for there to be more story and I was expecting that and then suddenly, oh, another boss fight. By the end of the movie, you know, it shows that there is too much of a good thing. It's a long movie, but it's drowned in bloodshed. And after a while, you, you wish for more of a breather, but still a lot of fun. It's like taking the worst parts of Scott Pilgrim vs. Yes, the World exactly. and stitching a movie together. Oh, that's not a... No, seriously, oh. Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is what I thought of when I saw it as well. Yeah, but but also yeah. at, at the same time, what I will recommend, and there's some beautiful parts of it, it's the way it's shot. I mean, Takashi yeah. Miike has a very distinctive sense of the frame and the way he yeah. uses black and white and switches yeah. back to color. Yeah, fantastic. It's, which it's which very unique. Tarantino was ripping off in Kill Bill. Oh, I, definitely. I yeah. heard something about this film. There was a particular number of deaths or death sequences. Oh, that, the, there's that so the much. The count is pretty, pretty high. Oh, yeah. yeah. And the, and it treats it as a joke, which it has to, because uh, otherwise there's no way you could survive this kind of, this kind of, one, of one of the sort of running gags of the film is how the immortal's hand is chopped off and he's basically carrying it around in a chain and he uses his chopped off hand to basically kill a lot of people. <laughs> so it's really fantastic. But also what's interesting about it is the really bits of social realism and social commentary that seep in while in between these boss fights, which I did not expect in this kind of fun kind of romp. A fun kind of romp, Blade of the Immortal is in cinemas tomorrow, as is Lucky and Vaughan McEnroe. The Japanese Film Festival will be starting at Event Cinemas George Street. We'll run through to the 26th of November. We will be back next week talking about the biggest fightingest film of the year so far, and that is Justice League. Oh, dear. I'm exci- um, I'm, I don't know how to feel about this Excited one. Excited is a, uh, a strong word, Glenn. I'm excited to talk about it, and it has some of my very favorite actors. It has Gal Gadot from Wonder Woman earlier, which was excellent, so we hope it measures up to That's that it. sort of standard, but we shall see. We are also talking in much more detail about some of the screenings and films at the Japanese Film Festival, which we will be reviewing. Do check it out. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Bye. His that was good. topples to the floor, expressionless. <laughs> that was really good. You fall to your knees and catch your breath. You're finally safe from Shia LaBeouf.